Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. Let's gather together. I'm going to ask uh, Trevor Tosh to come up here. He's going to come on up and pray for Trevor. He's a little nervous right now. Trevor Trevor is a well-known public speaker who travels the world. (laughs) Stands at the back of the hall and speaks while everybody else is trying to do their presentations. (laughs) Right? Trevor and I have been getting to know each other as I've met with a lot of other people as well. And um, Trevor, you grew up in this church? You, That's where I speak right, yeah, you speak into that stick and hold it to your lips. Uh, yeah. Um, came here the uh, majority of my life um, ever since it started. Um, yeah. So you're an old timer. I'm an old timer. I'm a new guy. So I'm not as old as you. So you've been around, uh, you've uh, taken communion at this church yes. many years, yep. you've been baptized here. Twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> Sat in a lot of Bible studies, worship. You're often in the back with uh, Sunday school Yeah. in this hour and so on. Yeah. Um, Trevor and I have been uh, having lots of conversations. We even closed out Tim Hortons one night. I didn't know you could close out Tim Hortons, but they... They told us to get lost. But anyways, we, we've had lots of conversations, uh, getting to know each other. Um, two weeks ago, on a Monday night, we were sitting at your dining room table. you remember that? I do, yep. And uh, while we were sitting there and we were talking, you came to realize something. What did you come to realize? Uh, that I wasn't saved. Trevor came to the realization that he was not saved. He'd been attending this church, taking communion, baptized twice, attending all these Bible studies, worship, volunteering in the Sunday school, and he came to the realization he was not saved. What was the one thing missing in your life that prevented you from knowing what it was like to be born again? Uh, I had, uh, I had, didn't have repentance. I, I didn't have... Uh, God, God wasn't in control. I was trying to control my own life. And, um, yeah, kind of an uphill battle. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't let him control me. I remember you telling me that when you uh, called out to the Lord before, you asked him to save you from this world and for troubles and and the challenges you were facing. But you had never actually repented of your own sins and turned it over to God and then turned your whole life over to him, right? That's right, yeah. So did you do that two Mondays ago? Yes, yeah, sure did. We did. So I told Trevor, uh, even as I told you in uh, last Sunday's sermon that I preached, that uh, first you receive, you repent, you receive, and then you believe. 
then you know what it means to be born again. You can't know it ahead of time. Trevor's heard those sermons before, and he prayed that prayer, and he hoped something would change because he needed change in his life. What was your life? What happened after you prayed that prayer? Did anything change? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just the total, <laughs> total sense of awareness, um, just what I was saying, what I was doing, how I was acting around others, um, being a father, husband. Um, and even like, in the workplace, like swears are swears, but when someone would take the Lord's name in vain, it actually was like a personal attack. Um, it was an insult. I was actually hurt by them. All the other ones were just nonsense, but yeah, it was, it was bad. He, he became aware of uh, anxiousness about what the Lord would do when he turned everything over to him. I don't know if you remember that, but you were, well, no, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and uh, you had this awareness of the Lord, sensitivity to more to the things. So it's been growing in you, this spirit and this thing of being born again. Yeah. Yeah. It, did it surprise you that it came? A loaded question. It, it, it is wasn't. a loaded question. <laughs> I got a million it, it of wasn't, them. It wasn't so much a surprise, more of a relief. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to answer that one. Yeah. It was. It was. It, it was a relief that there was change. Um, Amen. There was definite a, a difference. Um, Yeah, I can't. It's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah I understand. Yeah. He's been very courageous, and I, I would like you to give him a round of applause as he goes down and thank him for doing this. Thank you. So what I'm sharing with you up here is not just information. This is life-changing stuff. If you don't repent, you can't be born again. And for some reason, uh, the church has been pretty lax on preaching against sin. And so people don't know to confess their sin. Well, what sin have I committed? I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pastor after all, you know. But we, that was the one thing holding him back. <clears throat> and I'm finding the one thing that was holding a lot of people back. I've had people go back to the Sermon on Repentance that are preached about John the Baptist, and they've been listening to it over and over again and saying, oh my goodness, that's the key. That's what I have failed to do and what I need to do now. So we give thanks to the Lord for his grace and how he brings this all about. We are going to be looking at uh, Jesus at the well, which is the next part of our stories of uh, the life of Jesus Christ that we're sharing with you that we want you to know what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to actually believe in something? This sermon series, we explore the life of Jesus Christ because our goal is to help you believe in him as Lord and Savior. I'm keenly aware of this when we use the words to believe. We don't use it in always in the same way. To say, I believe you, is different than saying, I believe in you. You know the difference? I believe you, or I believe in you. 
And that little difference makes all the difference in the world in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many believe when I say Jesus Christ existed, he died on the cross for his sins, was raised on the third day, and would it shock you if I told you that the demons of hell believe that? But it doesn't save them. To know something isn't the same as what the Bible calls believing in Jesus Christ. You can believe something about him, but not in him. That's what we're going to explore here today. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, Even the demons of hell believe this and shudder. If you actually believe in Jesus Christ, God's desire this morning is to have you believe something about Jesus, but to believe in him. If Jesus Christ, as if your very life depended upon it. Because in many ways, your very life does depend upon your belief in Jesus Christ. So that's why we're exploring it today. So many of us live in the shallow end of life. We're not uh, really committed to it. You know, you ever go to the kiddie pool, and it's nice and shallow, and there's the far deep end on the... I was uh, spent quite a few years now in Oregon, and we would go to the ocean. I gotta tell you, I'm a prairie boy. I've always been a prairie boy. And I can climb a mountain, and I can scale down a cliff. I can do all that, but put me next to the ocean, I am scared silly. I don't understand it. There's just way too much water out there for my mind to comprehend. And Sandra and I would go down to the ocean just to look at it and be amazed. And uh, you can go down to the shore and it's a nice shallow beach all the way down with rocks and the tide is out and that's okay. And I'll wade around in the shallow end. But I am not going to commit myself out into that water because there's terrible things out there like riptides and kinds of things that will seize you, drown you, and just there's sharks and whales and horrible things lurking underneath the water. And I just don't want to get too close to them. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of a scaredy cat when it comes to water. I, the people have invited me out on the boats to go out on the ocean, and I always say no. I, <laughs> no, I will stay on the shore. Thank you. I trust the ground I'm on. I won't do that. But a lot of us, when it comes to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, are a lot like me around the ocean. We're timid and we're afraid and we stay in the shallow end and not fully committed so we can get out if we need to get out. We're just waiting, not all the way in. If you want to believe in something, you have to go deeper. You have to commit fully to something. The vast majority of North America who actually attend church someplace or think they're Christians are simply in the kiddie end of the pool. And I've met them, thousands of them. The church is a mile wide and an inch deep. It's not very deep at all. They're just playing around in the shallow end of the water. Very few people find the courage to go deeper where you are no longer swimming, but you are carried along by the currents and the oceans of God's plans for your life. The Bible was written by those who believe in Jesus Christ, and therefore, the Bible is subjective. It's personal, and it's intimate. You want to believe based on facts and reason, you will not come to believe in Jesus Christ. You will believe something about him. 
And you can do that. You can read the Bible. It's got facts and figures and historicity to it. But if that's all you're reading for, you will not believe in Jesus Christ. Because that is a very personal, subjective, and intimate experience. The witness of the Word of God is an invitation not to understanding, but an invitation to a relationship. A deeper commitment through a divine covenant. And only those who are willing to believe in this way will ever come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. This could be the missing key in your life, as I have discovered it is the missing key in other people's lives. This is our theme of our passage today that we're going to look at. And at this timeline, we are told that uh, Jesus has met with John the Baptist already, and he has shared in the acceptance of repentance. He and his disciples are now preaching repentance. Word has gotten out to the Pharisees, and Jesus is aware of that, that his disciples have been baptizing people for the repentance of sin. So Jesus was all for that. And as they became aware of that, they traveled on, and they found themselves in the region of Sychar of Samaria. And that is where we're going to pick up our story today. John chapter 4, 1 through 42. I'm going to start at verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. He had already sent his disciples on to go get some supplies. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus encounters this woman at the well. And wells are significant in the Middle East, as, as, as significant as they are right here in this high country region. How many of you got wells? You got any wells? You, you all got wells. Do you love your well? Do you hate your well? Does it work? Is it poisoned? <laughs> Is it destroying your dishwasher? What's it doing? There are good wells, there are bad wells, right? In in this region of the world, a well was the foundation for establishing a community. If you didn't get a well in and a good well that sustained life and gave you crops and everything else, you couldn't build a community there. And when they named a well, he came to Joseph's well, given to him by his father Jacob. He was given Joseph's well. It was like a title to deed to a land. It marked that area as belonging to the descendants of Joseph. It was a significant thing. It was a covenant relationship when a well was made. 
And when enemies would come into the land and they would want to break the tie to that history and to the claim of that land, they would destroy the well. Because that would break the covenant and the relationship. And they would dig a new well. And that would establish a new contract and relationship with the land. Here we have this lady of Samaria sitting at Joseph's well. She's drawing from a well that many have drawn from, and she is there as well, drawing from that same well. We could consider this book we call the Bible to be a well. It is a fountain of life, and within it flows inspiration and understanding of the Word of God and helps us to understand how we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some dip into this well and come up with some amazing things, and some read this and go, what? And they don't understand any of it. You can go shallow and you can go deep. When they dug the wells in the Middle East, they would dig them so deep that even in the dry season, they ensured that there would be water at the bottom of the well. It was a critical part of the life of, of that kingdom, and wells were really critical. They were a symbol of life and community, Generations drawn for waters from it, lived in the land. And we too have drawn from the word of God and we have built whole societies. Western society is based on the word of God. Did you know this? Your laws, everything that we built, are the morals of our society and everything were based on the, the Mosaic, the Judaic laws as well as the Christian laws. And there are some laws that some of you old-timers remember we no longer have, but you might remember them, like the blue laws. You remember those? Like on Sunday, no stores were open on Sunday. Do you remember that? Was it that long ago? The Lord's Day Act, that is correct. That was one of the laws. There were many other laws, and they were in compliance. I remember when I was growing up in Camrose, that stores would close Wednesday afternoon. So you could go to church Wednesday night, Bible study. And there was nothing. You couldn't buy gas on Sunday. Where do you want to go? You just go to church, buy gas on Saturday, because gas attendants need to attend church too. And that's the way it was. One of the largest controversies growing up <clears throat> for my uh, father's generation was whether they were allowed to play a hockey game or a baseball game on a Sunday because it would run interference with attendance at church. We had blue laws. We had laws like you, you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't commit adultery and do these things, and they were codified within our laws. Have you noticed that our country is moving away from this well where we draw this from? And I'll suggest to you the reason that is and why anyone would, and if you read this book, you'll see that Israel often wandered away from it, is because they didn't go deep enough. They were in the shallow end. If you're reading the Word of God just to find out how to behave and what to do, you're in the shallow end. If it isn't a life-changing relationship, Born again, the law does not accomplish a great deal and cannot be held on. The scripture tells us that a time would come when the law would not be written on tablets of stone, but it would be written on our heart. 
hearts. And that's what happens when we are born again. This symbol of life is absolutely critical. Some people are content to draw from ancient wells, showing respect for those who dug them in history. In each of the wells dug by the ancient people of the Bible were dug by faith and by a covenant with God. To be like those people, you don't just drink from the well, you must share in their faith and in their trust of the living God of the Bible. Our Bible is like an ancient well where people look for advice, they look for teaching to tell them what to do and how to do it, some moral compass in their life, yes, and this is the way we drink from their well, but far greater, far greater than that would be to share in their well-discovering faith, to receive a fresh word from God, our own encounter with the living God from where all life flows. Jesus asks for a drink of water drawn by a Samaritan woman. Is the water any more contaminated because of who drew it? Could anyone stand up and teach from this word and it would be the same life-changing word of God? Could Trevor share this with you and this would still be the life-changing word of God? Could a child share it with you and still be the life-changing word of God? The well was not contaminated because a Samaritan woman was going to share it, and that's what she was thinking with Jesus Christ, as you asked me to give it to you. And he said, no, I want it, share it, give it. I will receive it any way I can get it, because that is what it means to be drawing from the Lord. I remember reading a story once about a convert in Russia. Wanted to know what Christianity had said. Couldn't get a hold of a Bible under the communist rule. So he went down to the library, uh, the communist library. And because communism is anti-Christian, he went through the library and he looked up every reference to the word of God within communist literature. And he wrote down any quoted scripture in communist literature he could find. And he listed it on a tablet. Then he sat down and just read what he wrote down on its own without commentary. And he came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So even a communist literature can deliver a life-changing water as long as you get it. Is what matters, right? Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you a living water. Believing in Jesus, like your life depends on it, begins in the shallow water, knowing something about Jesus Christ. Every born-again believer I have ever met describes their life before uh, being born again as being blind, confused, and lost. And once they're born again and the Holy Spirit moves into their spirit, they describe it as being able to see, to understand, and comprehend who God is and what he wants for the first time in their lives. It's like flipping on a light switch. I would have done this sooner, I hear people say all the time to me. Why? Well, I got started late in life. I wish I had only knew this before. I would have done this so much sooner. If the woman at the well only knew who it was, 
she was talking to and what he had to offer, she would not hesitate to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit in her life as well. But she thought she knew who she was talking to, but she did not know. There are a lot of people going to church who don't know Jesus Christ the way they need to know him. Here's the thing. You can't really know Jesus or the gift of a new life in him until after you are born again. First, you have to repent and receive him on faith before you can really believe in Jesus Christ. Before that moment, it's all head knowledge and imagination. The woman at the well thought she had already gone deep into Jacob's well. The wells were dug deep to make sure they didn't dry up, and she knew how deep the well was and that you needed the right tools to reach the water. And that's why she says in verse 11, she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you think that you're going to get this living water. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the right equipment to give me living water. You might think you have dug deep in the Word of God that you really understand it. You might know all about the historical and cultural context of the Bible. You may be a biblical scholar and have the tools of the original languages. Wouldn't that be cool? to parse every word and every phrase. I, my preaching professor in seminary was Dr. James Earl Massey, and that's always how we refer to him, never as anything else. A long title. And I would go to his uh, classes, and he'd pull out his Bible, and he'd read from it, and I'd have mine, and I'd say, no, that's not the right version. And every week I'd show up with a new version of the Bible, trying to figure out what version of the Bible he was using. Then I found out something startling. He was translating on the fly. Wow. Dr. James Earl Massey had a photographic memory. could memorize everything instantly. I never met a brilliant man. You can be like him. Be a brilliant scholar. Know all this stuff. You may even know the best and the latest writings of scholars who have spent their lifetime critiquing the Word of God. But that is the shallow end of knowing God. It's not deep at all. What is the living word of God? It is the word that the Holy Spirit speaks to you directly, uses your name, and says, I am asking not everyone to repent. I'm asking you to repent of this. When that happens, you're starting to go deeper. You need the Holy Spirit living in you to do that. You can only get the Holy Spirit living in you when you are born again. Verse 12 says, And the woman said to Jesus, You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. So everything on the outside, you know, the sons and the cattle and the lineage, made him so great and wonderful. She doesn't mention his faith or his walk with God or anything like that. It's all on the outside. And so you're not greater than him. You're just some guy who comes up to a well without a bucket and needs someone to help you out. Our communities and countries have drawn from this Bible the very fabric of our culture. We built our laws on it. And one of the reasons we have begun to reject is because 
we're not going deeper. Jesus answered and said to him, everyone who drinks of this water in verse 13 will thirst again. Whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. How do you know that you believe in Jesus like your life depends upon it? When you really know Jesus, and it's only by being born again that you really know him, he becomes the most important person in your life. And you can't even imagine life without him and his daily presence and guidance. Some people hear this with their ears and they think, oh, Jesus is a crutch. Have you ever heard that? If, if, if I need Jesus to get through life, then that's because you're weak and maybe some of you need a crutch to get through life. And that's okay for you, but I'm pretty strong. If, if that's the way you're thinking about what I'm sharing with you is that, you're in the shallow end. You're not even close to the deep end. Because when you are born again, Jesus is not a help. He's not an augment. He's not an accessory. He is life and death itself. I would perish if I didn't know Jesus Christ. I would just shrivel up and die. He is absolutely everything in my life. There is nothing good in my life apart from what Jesus Christ has brought into me. He's not a crutch. He's, he's my life support. He's everything in me. I couldn't ever imagine living without him and trying to do anything apart from him. You are still in the shadow end if you're just looking for some life helps. What is the point of living another day if he were not in my life? The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, Give me this water so I will be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and the people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. This is an uncomfortable moment because Jesus knows what he's uh, just gone through with John the Baptist, what he and his disciples have been preaching ever since, which is repentance. This woman asks, and he says, give me this living water. Does she know really what she's asking for? No, she has no idea what she's getting involved in. This She is so in overhead, she doesn't even comprehend it. But she asked, and that's critical. The door is open. If you ask, Jesus will respond. No matter what your understanding is, she asked. So the next thing Jesus brings up is repentance. Go call your husband. Boy, I don't know what it is about Jesus, but he sure knew how to put his button, you know, his finger on the button and say, this is the issue I want to talk to you about. Have any of you sinned? One or two? 
three or four. Oh, well, there's a lot of sinning going on all of a sudden. There's a lot more hands going up. Thank you for the brave ones, the minority put up their hands. Some of you have sinned. I have sinned. And uh, I found that when I was born again, uh, God didn't deal with all of my sin all at once. Did you ever experience that? He kind of cherry-picked <laughs> what he wanted to work on in my life and say, okay, John, I'm in charge. Thank you for inviting me in your life. And then he would start working on something. And I said, and I would want to say with him, could we move on to something else? I don't really want to deal with that. I like cream puffs. <laughs> but no, the Lord is persistent. I've learned he's a great physician, so he knows in what order to deal with things. I don't have to be perfect right away, but I do need to get on plan with his recovery program and how he wants to go about it. And he starts putting his finger on just the thing that I usually want to avoid. Do you think that he's doing that with the woman at the well? Go get your husband. And you have rightly said. He knows what the issue is. Now, in all of that, it's the facts. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't justify or he makes excuses. He says, are you or are you not doing these things? And she has to admit course she doesn't actually admit it does she oh i perceive you're a prophet is that saying yes i have sinned that's no, not exactly in evangelism we call that the dodge not the ford the dodge you get you, you're getting a little too close there preacher i don't want to talk about that and so she does the dodge. And the dodge is, sir, perceive your prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain. You worship in Jerusalem. Is this the place where men ought to worship? And what she has done is she picked some favorite theological issue in which there are a variety of opinions and no one has resolved it for a thousand years. I'm out of this problem now. He'll be mired in this dilemma for a long time and never find his way out. So all you do, you know, you ever notice if you want to not talk, some of you are not antisocial, you just don't like people, that's all. And you, I, I have people in my life that are like that. So one of the tricks you can learn is, you know, if you're talking to someone and they have their favorite topic, you get them started and you can just stand there and listen for a while. And you don't have to say anything. They're off on their topic. You say, mm -hmm, yeah, that's good. And that's what she's doing. She's saying, oh, I know this is controversial. They'll really have lots to say about this. And they'll get off my case and onto that case. And I'll distract him. And he'll get off of my uh, sin and ask me to make a change and to convert. We um, are like this woman in many ways because what she raises the issue is, do you worship in Jerusalem? Do you worship on the mountain? Do you worship on a golf course? Do you worship on a horse riding in the forest? Do you worship the Lord in your own way? Do you have your own understanding of sin? And when you read the Bible, do you have your own interpretation? And there are a thousand interpretations of the Bible. Who could be right and who knows anything at all? That's the dodge. That's how we avoid the encounter with Jesus Christ and the necessary step of repentance. Because we know if we took the word of God seriously, this well, and went deeper with it, it will convict. It will convict and call us to repentance for sin in our life on God's terms. And we'll want to dodge that 
every single time. I um, have walked with the Lord uh, a few years now. And when I started out growing up in church, I thought there were five sins. Smoking, playing cards, except Rook. Rook's okay. Thank you, brother. You're a holiness child, I can tell. Hallelujah. The pool hall, you had to avoid that. Alcohol, we had a temperance link in my church. And oh, I forget the last one. Oh, dancing. How could I forget dancing? That was like, and those were the five sins. And I was convinced we had a thing called sanctification in Holiness Church, which means if you did not sin, you were sanctified. And I realized I only have five sins to avoid, and I am pure. I can do this. But the more I walked with the Lord, I found out I have to use another hand because there's more than five sins. Now I'm using all my toes and everything I've got because, oh my goodness, there's so many ways to sin. I had no idea. But you know why I know this? It's because I go deep in the Word. I let the Holy Spirit speak. And boy, he's got a real reformation program going on in my life. He's got a lot of things he wants to talk to me about and to change. There is a thing that's happening in our society. It's called a do-it-yourself religion. Have you ever heard of it? Make it up as you want. There are a lot of people who are taking the Word of God and combining it with Buddha or whatever they want, and they piece it together of the parts they like like uh, buying jigsaw puzzles at a variety of boxes and throwing them together and making them fit. And what you come up with is your custom-made version. It might make you feel good, it might make you feel spiritual, it might make you feel religious, but you are out of the pool, you're not even in the shallow end. There's nothing deep about it. You're not encountering God, you're creating just a reflection of yourself. If you want to go deep, you've got to honestly come to the Lord. And not dodge him with these kind of statements. The woman here in this passage says she could have so much more than what she had at that moment. She could go deeper. And this might be the only chance. Because no one has ever suggested, let alone offer to the opportunity, to go deeper with faith in God. So she asks for what she does not really understand. And you don't have to understand to know a mystery. It's like a living relationship with God. But you must ask the Lord. The next step is to repent, turn it all over to God, as we heard Trevor share this morning and many others are discovering. Jesus knew that the woman needed to come clean and repent and break uh, breaking of God's law before she could be forgiven. If she would do that, she could be washed clean of that sin and she could be born again. We can't live off of the faith of other people, off of their wells and their knowledge. We must have our own relationship with Jesus Christ if we want to go deeper. The Bible says in an amazing verse, 2 Kings 18.31, Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. And in that instruction, it it was a metaphor for saying, which means enjoy the love of thine own wife alone. Be true to them. So there she is, a well and drinking from the well. 
and there is an adulterous relationship in her own life. When we have divided loyalty, we look to other people to give us what we think we need, and this is what the Bible tells us is to thirst for filthy waters, and the Bible describes that as suicidal. Friends, you cannot create your own religion to your own understanding and go deeper into a living relationship with God. You will not know Jesus and he will not know you in your self-chosen delusion of your over-believing in Jesus as if you got to believe in Jesus as if your life depends upon it. Anything else is adulterous thinking, it's shallow, and it's uncommitted. You might call yourself a Christian, but you got your toes a little wet, but you are compromised if you don't abandon your own homemade version of Christianity. You only think you know God. You don't really know him. You haven't gone deeper and taken Jesus at his word. But if you will take a leap of faith, if you repent, believing in Jesus, he will take you further. It says in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. There it is in this passage. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Jesus reveals the difference between knowing about God and being born again. It's all in that passage. The Samaritans had a compromised knowledge they had a watered-down faith. They were in the shallow end. While the pure Jews at Jerusalem had a deep knowledge of the law, of the commandments, of the Torah, and all the benefits of keeping it. But deeper still is that moment when we're all the way in, fully committed to Jesus Christ, born again by spirit and truth. This is when we move from knowledge to a living relationship with the Holy Spirit. The difference is a scholar will say, well, just a minute, I'll check my books. A born-again person will say, just a minute, I'll talk with God and see what he says. We are at the same well right now. We have opened the Bible that thousands of generations have opened before us. Some find a moral code, a framework for law, for a nation that they want to build, a way of living peacefully with one another. This is good, but it's still the shallow end of the water. If you have heard a preacher exegete the scriptures to tell you what you need to do and how you should do and how you should behave, you know you're in the shallow end. When words like, you should have, you could have, you would have, you have to, you ought to, for these are the commands of laws. If you want to go deep to find living water, you need to wake up and realize that Jesus 
is in this room right now by the well. Wake up to realize that Jesus is talking about you and about your life, and you need to repent and to give up everything to him as your Lord and Savior. He wants you, not a bit of you. He wants every part of you in the deep end of the water where you'll completely rely on him for everything in your life from here on in. He wants to plunge you into a life with the Holy Spirit in a relationship that is beyond a point of no return. They tell me that if I ever got over my fear of the ocean and went out in it and swim in it, that there is a point of no return where you will not have the energy to turn back and go to shore, that you'll be out there and unless help comes, you will drown. I don't want to try that theory. But I know what it is with the Lord because I have left the shore. I'm all the way in. Jesus is talking to us right now, each of us, inviting us to repent of our known sins, admit them, come clean, and surrender everything to him. This is what repentance is. Ask him to forgive you because he paid the price for those sins on the cross. Then ask him to come into your spirit with the Holy Spirit so you can be born again. You're at the well with Jesus today, right now. And it is different than coming to the well alone. If you ask, like the woman did, if you seek, you will find faith in him while he is here with you. And you will never lose him or be without him ever again. But you have this one chance. When that happens, you'll want everyone to know about Jesus. You'll go to the village and tell everyone about him. The woman did that and brought them all out. You'll want them to know him like you know him. You will leave this place believing in Jesus because your life depends on it, because it really does. This is no crutch. This is a heart transplant. He is waiting at the well for you to come and believe in him. If you leave the shallow end of the pool and go deeper with him right now, don't just know about Jesus. Move to knowing Jesus as a living presence in your spirit, giving you life, give him everything over to him today. And if you want to do that, we can help you to do that. And we're going to be closing this service in just a moment. And at the end of it, we're going to uh, hang around up the front here. And if you're like Trevor or others and you're not sure where you are, we'll talk and be with you as long as we need to be. There is no hurry. But we want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to tell you, this is more important than the Super Bowl. This matters. So if you need to, we'll be here for you. Would you stand with me? I want to close with a prayer. Lord, it's good to be with you at the well today. To sit there and hear those words and we realize it isn't just to a Samaritan woman, it is to us compromised people as well that you are speaking. You are inviting us to go deeper, to ask. And Lord, we want to ask, 
to receive. Lord, we want to receive, to go deep into you, to throw everything we have, our future, our very lives, all our problems, all our joys. Lord, we want to give it all into your hands and for you to become king and Lord of our life. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to make that commitment and is battling with that, I pray, Lord, that they'll come forward and we'll be able to talk and pray until they come to know you as many have and are born again. Lord, we thank you for this time at the well, for how refreshing it is, how encouraging it is, and how it refocuses on on you. I pray your blessing on each of these dear people. Go with them, keep them safe. Let them be excited about you to share their faith with others. And may they come back from their towns and communities bringing friends and say, come meet Jesus at the well who told me everything about me. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities both locally and abroad, and for all ages. All are welcome. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.